If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Conversations about what matters the most. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, we're launching into hour two of State of the Nation. Thank you for joining us for this live broadcast right here at today's News Talk. TNT Radio.live is the website. Shout out to you in the interactive live chat room over there at the website. Head on over there, check out our calendar. We got our What's on Events calendar, we got our episodes link, the store, the video feed is up there so you can actually watch the show on the website. Uh, and we have so much more coming for you. I'm Brian McLean out of Central Texas. I'm here with Steve Hook out of New Jersey. Steve, welcome back for hour two. Great hour one. Yeah, it was, man. It was really big. And, you know, we said in the lead up to first, uh, you know, in the first hour, we said it seems like the stores are getting bigger and they're coming, uh, you know, exponentially quicker. And after that last Joe Hoff segment, it sounds like it's really going to heat up pretty quick, especially in uh uh, with regards to the Fulton County case. So interesting stuff, huh? Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I'm glad that Fulton County has not fallen in the memory hole. Uh, same goes uh, for uh, Maryland, Maricopa County. I mean, Americans are not going to just let this go now that so much information is available about the holes in our voter integrity. Uh, so yeah, and I'm hoping we can get uh, uh, Garland from Voter GA on this week. We're gonna try to do that, uh, see if we can't dive even a little bit deeper with him on this topic. And like Joe Hoff said, uh, we're still, uh, we still have two more uh, investigation results forthcoming on this. So this is very important work that you're not gonna see covered in the mass media cartels very much, but we're gonna cover it right here on State of the Nation. It's not a dead horse, but we're going to keep kicking it, Steve. Yeah, and even if it were, we'd keep kicking it. Um, that's right. You know, <laughs> we'll I kick mean, it until it's a dead horse. That's right. We'll go. We'll, uh, we'll scatter the bones of that horse. I just, uh, it, it is, it is very telling. And I, you know, I, I just wanted to say real quick. It, you, you mentioned the, the 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 corporate media and all this, and sometimes it's easy to roll your eyes at the thought of that and say, "Yeah, you guys, all you right wingers." With that conspiracy crap about the media, all the media is a business. Uh, and Thirty years ago, it was a business too, but it was a business in telling the truth, at least a little bit more than it does today. Today, they're bought and paid and sold by global corporations that have got their, you know, the 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 media aspect of the company is just the uh, propaganda wing of the corporation. And it's important to remember that, and that's what you don't get here at TNT Radio. We are uh, truth tellers. I like to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of which, you know, we touched on this yesterday, but I want to flesh it out a little bit further. The uh, new report by uh, Schellenberger, Taibbi, and their other colleague, um, the CTIL files is what they're called. You can find the complete write-up on Schellenberger's X.com account. Um, but this is very interesting because it has to do with uh, a whistleblower that's come forward with explosive, uh, an explosive new trove of documents they describe the activities of an anti-disinformation group, you like that double negative, called the Cyber Threat Intelligence League, or the CTIL. Now, the documents, um, the CTI League documents offer the missing link answers to key questions not addressed in the Twitter files 
and the Facebook files, which you can also find on Taibbi and Schellenberger's feeds. Uh, combined, they offer a comprehensive picture of the birth of the anti-disinformation sector, which has now been uh, recoined the censorship industrial complex, as we discussed yesterday, Steve. Um, yeah. These documents describe everything from the genesis of modern digital censorship programs to the role of the military and intelligence agencies, partnerships with civil society organizations, NGOs, and commercial media, and the use of sock puppet accounts and other offensive techniques. And this goes all the way back to 2016, 2017, and 2018, just like I intimated yesterday on the show, starting with that Google adpocalypse back in 2017. So it's a network of over 100 government agencies and NGOs that work together to urge censorship by social media platforms and spread propaganda about disfavored individuals, topics, and whole narratives. So there you go, Steve. This is a another bombshell uh, investigation right here. Yeah, it, it's an absolute bombshell investigation. And what's so telling about it, beyond the obvious, beyond what the, the, uh, the evidence is pointing to, which is, as you mentioned, massive government uh, collusion, to borrow a phrase, um, with NGOs and other like-minded, uh, and not just left-wing organizations, it must be said, but organizations that are basically in it for the buck and in it to push a narrative. Uh, more often than not, they are left-wing, but there you go. But th what's also very telling about it is, is who's putting it out? Matt Taibbi, for God's sakes, was a liberal writer contributor to Rolling Stone magazine. I always loved Matt's work, but I always finished reading an article going, God, I like this guy. I just wish he wasn't so damn liberal. And the same thing was true of Schellenberger. Schellenberger is another one that was very liberal. And there are other, and I don't, I don't know that Barry Weiss was involved in this particular report, but she, of course, is a former New York Times writer. So all of these people that are coming forward with this info, it's not like they're a bunch of Alex Jones or even the, the Steve Bannons of the world. These are former, very liberal, outspoken liberal journalists. And what they've seen has scared them uh, and, and, and put, you know, it's really chilled them to the core. And um, I just think it's I just think it's unbelievable the amount of stuff that's coming out right now about what the government has done to keep the truth away from us and more importantly to drive an agenda and a narrative that will help make that agenda you know almost uh fait accompli it's scary yeah yeah and this this uh connects with cisa too this trove of documents it includes strategy documents training videos presentations internal messages and more revealing that U.S. and U.K. military and intelligence contractors led by a former U.K. defense researcher, one Sarah Jane Turp, S.J. Turp, uh, developed the sweeping censorship framework, and they since partnered with CISA back in 2020. So a really good expose of the censorship industrial complex. Uh, right there. Again, go to uh, Schellenberger or Taibbi's x.com. Are you enjoying listening to TNT radio? You think we're doing a good job? Please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review on Facebook, Gab, or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk TNT radio. Giving you what you want. I want the fact. Today's News Talk radio TNT. 
A township in Muskegon County, Michigan, has declared itself a Second Amendment sanctuary and created a maximally inclusive militia in hopes of protecting citizens' constitutional rights from Governor Gretchen Whitmer's dreaded Gretchen Whitmer's gun control laws. Here with the story, joining us once again is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark. Ruckus, uh, sanctuary cities for Second Amendment. I mean, we live in the Constitutional Republic. That is our Second Amendment right there. It seems kind of strange that we would even need sanctuary cities. What does that say about our country? Well, we have to keep, this is great. We have to keep reminding people, this is what you do. Um, and if the people around you refuse to do it and you can't vote them out, then I guess it's time to move. Uh, anyways, speaking of moving, uh, in a move to counter what it perceives as political targeting under Michigan's new gun confiscation law, the board of Holton Township, Michigan, has passed a resolution to establish a voluntary community militia. This initiative aims to safeguard the constitutional right to bear arms. Additionally, the Republican Majority Board has designated Holton Township as a Second Amendment sanctuary community, asserting that unconstitutional firearm control laws will not be recognized there. Here, here. This decision aligns with a broader trend in Michigan, believe it or not, where half of the state's 83 county governments have declared themselves Second Amendment sanctuary counties. The Holton Township resolution specifically protects the lawful purchase and possession of all firearms, including semi-automatic rifles, shotguns, pistols, accessories, ammunition and body armor as allowed under current federal law. Law. Well, that's a start. Alan Jaeger or Jaeger. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I apologize. I'll go with Jaeger. Uh, this is the Holton Township supervisor and a Republican uh, has expressed concerns about potential misuse of Michigan's red flag laws. This statute enables law enforcement officers, mental health professionals, family members, friends or neighbors or complete strangers to request a court order court order for confiscating firearms from individuals deemed potential violent threats. Jaeger highlighted the potential for misuse of such a law, citing concerns about its enforcement. Um, according, let's see, we've got Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel, Democrat, of course, and Governor Gretchen Whitmer, another Democrat, of course, have expressed their commitment to enforcing these laws, especially in the context of preventing mass shootings. However, according to the Associated Press, some Michigan sheriffs have publicly stated their refusal to enforce the red flag law. Jaeger drew parallels between the Michigan law and the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA, suggesting potential for government overreach. You don't say. He also mentioned efforts to protect gun owners' rights in court against unconstitutional firearms restrictions. The resolution outlines the malicious formation and states that membership is open to all legal residents of the community who are at least 18 years old and can pass a federal firearms background check. The process for joining the militia is simply declaring the intent on social media or through a letter to friends and family. Yes, it's that simple. While addressing concerns about potential misuse of the militia, the resolution clearly states that it does not grant any member the right to act violently or above the law. Jaeger emphasized that the primary purpose of the militia is not to patrol with guns, but to strengthen the legal position of gun owners and draw attention to the gradual erosion of Second Amendment rights. And here's my favorite part, gentlemen. Jaeger is not a gun enthusiast himself, yet 
sees this initiative as a way to defend the rights of other gun owners and hopes it will inspire similar actions in other communities. Despite potential backlash from state and federal authorities, he remains committed to upholding due process and constitutional rights. Can we make this guy president? Just just saying, anyways. Uh, but this is great. Uh, so how soon are we moving to Holton Township, guys? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, this, you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me, and I think we talked about this, Ash, on the program, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago, about the old law in Kennesaw, Georgia. Some town in Massachusetts, not shockingly, uh, came out and said, from now on, you can no longer own a gun in this township, which, of course, is a direct slap to the Second Amendment. This is back in the early 80s, and Kennesaw, Georgia <laughs> wrote a law, said, from now on, to live in Kennesaw, you must own a gun. So it's, it's you know, it's kind of done to uh, to slap around some liberal lunacy. But nowadays, you know, the old adage is we have the Second Amendment in case somebody tries to stop us from using our First Amendment. And we see that in the lead-up story to bring in ruckus on uh, with what's going on with Schellenberger and Taibbi. We see that our First Amendment is being trampled. It's no shock that they would go after the Second. And I think it's wonderful but also sad that we have to have sanctuaries for constitutional law in the United States of America. Who would have thought? Yeah, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't relish that at all. But I do appreciate the legislators, politicians, um, sheriffs. Big shout out to the sheriffs that are yeah. not willing to put up with this. We actually see a lot of these across the country. In I, <laughs> for years now, I've been seeing here and there peppered across the news every year. Uh, you know, this county sheriff has is not going to. You know, for example, is not going to arrest you for having a bump stock or a uh, stabilizing brace on your pistol or rifle, for example, or, or anything. They're not going to, uh, there's even many sheriff's departments out here that are not interested in NFA items like uh, suppressors, uh, SBR, short barrel rifles, these sort of things. And here in Texas, uh, we've had uh, 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 the Texas Gun Owners of America president on with us. And, and in Texas, we're, we're moving to strike down the nfa uh completely uh national firearms act which makes uh, a registry and is uh, arguably very violative of second amendment there so yeah and you know what um i also saw this week that record-breaking firearm sales record-breaking over the thanksgiving day holiday so that will probably continue through christmas people are arming up they've been doing so since 2020 when the government attacked us and businesses attacked us and the media attacked us and tried to change fundamentally our way of life here. So yeah, um, gun ownership is on the rise uh, for all. And it's not just a conservative thing. Uh, everybody's arming up here in the United States and people are rediscovering the joy of knowing that they have the ability to defend themselves in a violent interaction. So uh, I don't see the public support going away for for this right now. Um, and I mean, red flaw lags, red flag laws, rather. Come on. Uh, th there's nothing. <laughs> there's almost nothing more unconstitutional than those. Yeah, there's just it's just, you know, the number one, the number one uh, uh, arms salesperson in the world used to be Dianne Feinstein. Now it's just a blanket on the Democrat Party. Every time they start talking uh, about gun laws, and of course they always couch it with, 
we need some responsible, proactive gun laws, and they make it sound all good and warm and cuddly. What they really mean is gun confiscation. And every time they start talking this kind of garbage, uh, we'll see stories like this one ruckus brought us pop up. We'll see stories about the sheriffs that are refusing to, to, to enforce those laws. And then invariably we see massive sales in, in new guns. I think that I think that Diane Feinstein, uh, rest in peace, probably sold more AR-15s than Armalite was equipped to handle. Uh, and they had to start making more just to keep up with demand. So, so much for their uh, good intentions, I guess. Ruckus, uh, what else on this? What, what what are you thinking, brother? Well, I think this story is very important as a nice reminder of why the Constitution is there and how it can work, because there's a, there's a you would think that politically there's a big fight that this couldn't happen in a place like Michigan when, you know, out there, the state legislature, uh, Democrats control both chambers. You combine that power with Whitmer's pen, her signature, uh, that's how they're able to push these numerous bills that have been curtailing people's rights. But they can never trump the Constitution. And we just need to raise awareness of that and, you know, share this story, remind everyone, hey, the power rests in our hands and is protected by this piece of paper. Absolutely, Ruckus. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And support Gun Owners of America and support the 2A Foundation and support the Firearm Policy Coalition. That's uh, one of the best things you can do if you're not able to get politically active on this. Uh, we just experienced injunctive relief here in this country. GOA members did uh, while the ATF was trying to unconstitutionally create new laws that could send 40 million Americans to prison if they didn't sign up for a new registry and pay tax stamps and do all the hoops that were involved there. All right, Ruckus, thank you very much for this report. Appreciate that. And we'll look forward to speaking with you tomorrow. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk TNT Radio. TNT Radio's James Freeman. We have new revised figures from the Office for National Statistics showing that legal, that's not illegal, that's legal, net migration to the UK has witnessed one of the largest increases on record. Three quarters of a million additional people are now living in the UK in the space of just one year. A huge number that comes just three years after we left the European Union. Now, I didn't vote for Brexit because of immigration. I voted because of democracy. But millions did vote because they think too many people are coming into the country, which makes what the government has allowed to happen an absolute two fingers up to the people and democracy. Another example, if we needed another, of how the government does the exact opposite to what the people want and vote for. The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. 
There are opportunity zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. Today's News Talk Radio. Now we're talking. TNT. All right. There's a brilliant investigative podcast series called Fun Police, looking at all the ways that prohibitionists are working to limit choice in the free market, ban popular products, and meddle in people's private lives. We have the host, one of the hosts of Fun Police, joining us right now, senior policy analyst at the Consumer Choice Center. Bill Wirtz joins us to fill us in. Bill, welcome to State of the Nation. Thank you for joining us. I love the concept of your show. Tell us about it. Tell us how you came up with the idea. What drove you to focus on prohibitionists? Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. I wanted to do something about this issue because I think a lot of us know about the ill effects of prohibition, but we always associate it with the past. So we just look at alcohol prohibition in the US and we say, well, we would never commit a mistake like this again. And back in in, in the prohibition eras in, in the US, it was uh, the temperance movement and it was the notion of public morality. And today we have something different. It's called public health. And it's the Michael Bloomberg's of the world, the uh, moms against vaping of the world that essentially try and make rules that affect adult consumers as well. And what they say is that it's better to outlaw it and they disregard all the consequences of that. So I wanted to make sure that's accessible to a lot of people, giving an introduction to the, the, the effects of prohibition and, uh, you know, get a lot of experts on to explain the issue and what the consequences would be. Excellent. It's, it's, it, it, I'm, I'm glad that you're Bill. Hello there. Steve Hook here. Uh, now, I know you're in Canada, but we we all, you know, I think it's I think it's fair to say uh, I think it's safe to say that pretty much every Western democracy is under attack. And, and and a lot of that is coming from prohibitionists, as you mentioned, and really the hard left, the moral busybodies, as C.S. Lewis used to describe them. And I, I wonder a perfect example of this. And you mentioned vaping. So we'll go there. We know that Joe Biden, for example, and the Democrats wanted to ban, and for that matter, Donald Trump did this too, wanted to ban a lot of vape flavors. And they did, as they said, oh, these vapes are marketed towards kids. You've got bubblegum flavored vapes. You've got uh, creamsicle flavored vapes, whatever. But then Biden ranted up and said, now we're going to get rid of menthol flavored vapes and menthol cigarettes. And boy, howdy, did he did that open a can of worms because Menthol cigarettes are predominantly smoked by African-Americans, at least here in the States they are. And he's back down a little bit on this. But these these moral busybodies, they're never happy, are they? They're like rust. They don't sleep. It really never stops with them. And what is so interesting about the vape flavors, uh, as an example, is that the argument they use is, say, it attracts children, as if adults didn't like any flavors whatsoever. I mean, oh, I don't like flavor. <laughs> Yeah, right. Oh, I think he's That's right. I, I mean, when I order crazy. an ice cream, I want it to be like flavors above the age of 18. And um, <laughs> yeah, what, right. what happens uh, is also that this, this, this idea with these with these flavors being attractive only to children, it sort of is, is this, it's, it's, it's a very simplified, facile uh, argument. I mean, even the nicotine replacement theory 
uh, therapy with uh, chewing gums. Those chewing gums also have bubble gum flavor. They also have mint flavor. So clearly, to some people, quitting smoking works with alternatives that have flavors. What we want is to get people um, who want to quit an alternative that works for them. And keeping them on plain flavors or tobacco flavors, essentially uh, keeping them in, in something that they wanted to quit in the first place. So let people have mango, let people have pineapple, and let's have the, let's stop this facile debate. Because when I started smoking cigarettes, I was, uh, I was about 16 years old, and they were Marlboro Reds, and it didn't matter what they tasted like, it was just to be cool. So I think we should really end this conversation uh, uh, on the flavors, because it's, it's nonsensical. It's just another excuse to ban something. Uh, yeah. yeah. And look at the alcohol market. I mean, it's crazy the way that they advertise, uh, you know, hard lemonades and this and that. I mean, I'd certainly know that that's garbage alcohol. We, we, Steve and I, we prefer a good Kentucky bourbon over here. We feel that's the yeah, most yeah. patriotic drink, right, Steve? <laughs> yes, indeed. But I mean, look at the way alcohol is marketed. It's the exact same marketing. They're showing partying and young people and uh you know flavor splashes and fruit all over the screen when they're advertising it so it's like it's very disingenuous and and i've noticed that um i love that you've kind of uh elevated prohibition to the top of my radar today because i think a lot about regulations legislation rules-based orders, you know, social contracts, and those all fall into exactly what Steve was talking about there with uh, moral, or maybe now, maybe it's virtuous busybodying and brigading and things like this. But when where, where the rubber meets the road on these, and I'll take your comment on this after a brief headline here, but it seems to me, uh, like you've pointed out, the free market is what gets trampled on here completely. And vaping, we'll, we'll return to the vaping concept after the headline because I want your take on this because one of the things I noticed as a former vapor was when it first got introduced here in the United States and it started uh, picking up, we had a thriving small business sector built on this. There was a cottage industry that popped up everywhere. Every town I would visit would have at least one, two, three, four or five vape stores there. And you could go in and you could get American made products. You could even make your own vape liquids, uh, only three ingredients. You could keep your eye on exactly what was in it. And now that all seems to be gone. It's my understanding now that all of the e-liquids are basically coming from China. So if someone could explain to me how that's anything other than trade warfare, and prohibition i would love to hear that argument uh, but we'll be we'll pick up right there after this brief headline with today's news talk tnt radio i got news news i got news for you news news i got news i got news tnt radio news for tnt radio news this is james o'neill israel says the international red cross has taken custody of 12 hostages released by hamas on tuesday Israeli Defense Forces say 10 of the hostages are Israeli citizens and two more are foreigners. It did not clarify the nationality of the non-Israelis. All 41 construction workers who were trapped in a collapsed mountain tunnel in northern India for more than two weeks were pulled out on Tuesday, bringing an end to a drawn-out rescue mission that had grabbed the country's attention for days. 
Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab, or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Check out the Fun Police podcast on Spotify and all good podcasting networks and also go to consumerchoicecenter.org to follow our guests' work. Now, Bill, what do you think about that? What I said there before the headline about just sort of policy, legislation, trade agreements. I mean, is this really about keeping people safe? I mean, it's one of the consequences that we see right now is that there's consolidation on the market in the way that you expressed it, that, uh, that you know, a lot of the vape producers are essentially now um, you know, overtaken by, by Chinese companies. And the reason for that is also because the compliance costs are very high. If you're burdened with taxation and new rules, if you're a shop owner, you, it makes the, the rivals particularly uh, particularly strong. I mean, right now, when we look at the at the United Kingdom, which is now considering banning disposable vapes, you know which disposable vapes will still show up at corner shops? It will be all the ones coming from China because those producers don't particularly care about complying with the rules. And so what you end up with is, uh, is now that the corner shops, which were not IDing people in the first place, uh, now, uh, now still sell to the underage people that you wanted to protect in the first place. Now, a lot of these things come from a good place. Now, I understand and people say, we don't want youth vaping. We don't want people picking up uh, gambling or alcohol at a very young age. I completely understand that. But I think the idea that prohibition or very restrictive policy is the answer to it, it's the complete opposite. During prohibition in the United States, during alcohol prohibition, alcohol consumption rose by 60 to 70% compared to pre-prohibition era. It increased alcohol consumption. So I think we really need to be careful about the heavy hand of government and how we use it. Yeah, and not only not only did it did alcohol consumption increase, kind of like the old if you, you know you tell a kid whatever you do don't touch this treat while I'm gone you leave the room they're going to touch the treat that's what's going to happen human that's hum, the human condition but not only did it increase the consumption of alcohol but it basically created a black market that made millions and by today's standards billions of dollars off the books. Uh, it, it gave rise to criminal enterprise from one uh, one side of the coast. To, I mean, one side of the nation to the other. It seems that they would have learned their lesson. But again, these moral busybodies, man, they'll just they just all they're do. They're just here to help us, aren't they, Bill? They are. And, and I mean, the effect that you're describing is also called the potency effect. Essentially, the government wasn't wasn't discriminating between different types of alcohol. It wasn't saying you will get a lighter punishment if you if you sell light beer than if you sell whiskey. So if you're already breaking the law, might as well sell whiskey. And as a consumer, might as well buy whiskey. So people increase their alcohol uh, consumption overall. And that was one of the ill effects. I mean, the Soviet Union uh, uh, and ended prohibition on certain uh, uh, alcoholic drinks uh, that was imposed by the Russian empire also because they couldn't keep it in check. I mean, this is really, the moment you introduce alcohol or nicotine into a society, it is really hard to get rid of it. And I think the most authoritarian regimes in the world that are, are trying to root this out uh, uh, have found out that it didn't really work. I mean, a lot of people, when you watch a World War II movie, you would be you would be surprised to know that Nazi Germany tried to ban smoking in all in all public places, and yet it wasn't very successful uh, at doing that either. So no matter how much you try, you end up failing 
uh, with these type of measures. And what I see right now is this type of quasi-prohibition, where essentially you tax certain people out of the market. So you make cigarettes, alcohol increasingly expensive. It's only really accessible to certain people. And what are people going to do on the lower income bracket? They buy the bootleg stuff. They buy it off the black market where there isn't actually any quality control. So ultimately, those people are hurt even more. So it's, it's, it's a vicious circle. And we really need to break the cycle on this idea that prohibition works. Yeah. Um, and, and okay, uh, boy, only five minutes left. What could, I have two questions that are just burning a hole in my pocket. I'm not sure if I'm going to have time for both of them, but um, I guess I'll go with this one first. How did it make you feel to see a prohibition on breathing fresh air in the COVID era, a prohibition on sending your kids to school, a prohibition on getting your cancer treatments if you don't do this or that or this and that? I mean, there was some pretty authoritarian prohibitions going on during the COVID fiasco. I don't want to comment too much on the, on the COVID restrictions, but I think what COVID showed us is a misunderstanding of the precautionary principle, essentially the precautionary principle on steroids. The idea that if you think you can save some people, you need to implement the strictest possible measures without looking at the unintended consequences, that's a lot of the public health policy that we have right now. That's the public health policy that comes out of the World Health Organization. That is the public health policy that we see in Europe and North America. This idea that if we can just save one person, we need to ban something, we need to restrict something, uh, and, 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 and we, we disregard all the unintended consequences, the job loss, the job losses as a result of that, the loss of opportunity of businesses, businesses closing down, all of these things don't seem to matter. And that's very much, that's very comparable to the conversation we have now on prohibition. Essentially, we disregard all the illicit market, the black market that benefits from prohibition, and we say, well, some people were probably helped by this. And that might be true, but I think if we crunch the numbers, we find out that any type of restrictive rules on people's lives never really works out. Yeah, I agree. And you know, the irony in all of this is that as we speak, more and more states, now, I don't know how it is up north where, where you're at, Bill, but down here, more and more states are legalizing weed. And, uh, and first it was, they, they kind of trial balloon it with, well, this is for medicinal purposes and medically prescribed weed. And it's just a hop, skip, and a jump until it's recreational weed. And then one state says, I will we'll never do that here. And then they take a look at the tax revenue at the state next door. Boom, boom, boom. It's a domino effect. I'm just wondering how long it's going to be before the prohibitionists say, we need to reel back some of these recreational marijuana laws because they're uh, passing them left and right to get that tax revenue. Well, I, I hope not because I, th I think the war on, drug on, 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 the war on drugs and on, on cannabis was not particularly... Uh, effective and it's created a lot of unintended consequences as well. And I think the the understanding that the the, the prohibition on marijuana was 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 not effective. Interestingly, doesn't seem to apply to tobacco or alcohol. These <laughs> the same yeah. people that will say we should legalize we should legalize weed are now the people saying, oh, we should ban all vaping, smoking, and alcohol. It's it's really fascinating how that happened. I mean, here's a if, if I have the time, maybe maybe a last example. Movendi, which is a prohibitionist uh, uh, temperance era group that tries to ban all alcohol, helped to, uh, to write a report in Canada 
in which they recommended that people should not have more than two drinks a week, which was previously two, uh, uh, two drinks a day. And uh, they really skewed the numbers on that. And Movendi used to be called, now this, will come, this is straight out of a Dan Brown novel, used to be called the International Order of Good Templars. And Movendi is an organization funded by running a lottery in Sweden. Uh, so these are the type of people that we're dealing with here. The, the good old prohibitionists <laughs> trying to infiltrate governments, writing these reports, and then saying, we're all doing it in the name of your good health. Now, who disagrees with uh, health, right? We all want to live healthier lives, but we also want to live free lives where we make our own decisions. And as individuals, we get to decide what's good for us and what's not, and then take our own responsibilities as a result. So I think that's really what we need to cement in people's head and uh, and uh, get rid of those busybodies. Uh, there you go. Yeah, I like that. Now, uh, again, uh, the Fun Police, Fun Police on Spotify and ConsumerChoiceCenter.org to follow Bill's work. Uh, Bill, um, in our last 30 seconds here, um, what else can people find in the Fun Police if you want to preview what people can find there on your show? So the episode I dropped today is all about tobacco harm reduction. We'll have more, two more episodes coming out. So people who subscribe should also tick the notification bell so they don't miss those episodes. And we'll also be talking about gambling and plain packaging and even whether you should be able to rent out the pool in your backyard because there's a fun police coming after people who rent out their swimming pool as well. So a lot of craziness going around there in the last two episodes of the Fun Police podcast. So thank you so much for all the people subscribing. I really appreciate uh, the, the, the audience. Excellent. Thank you so much. Bill Wirtz, right there, consumerchoicecenter.org, Fun Police on all good podcasting platforms. Thanks for everything you're doing. Thanks for bringing this concept to top of mind today, right here on State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I really don't like picking on the company I used to work for. I have a tremendous amount of respect for the people I forecasted with there, and that was at AccuWeather. And in the old days, AccuWeather was like playing for the New York Yankees of weather. It was just unbelievable. It was like the world's greatest forecasters wondering one roof in State College, Pennsylvania. But something has turned around over the past 10, 15 years. I think it started with the Weather Channel first, and now AccuWeather is all in on anything that has to do with global warming. Now, there's a recent blog that they put out, and the headline is, NOAA reports declining snowpack means worldwide food disruptions. This is the headline from NOAA. It's a UPI article. Naturally, AccuWeather is more than happy to promote this. In fact, all the media is more than happy to promote this. There's just one problem. It's not true. Food production globally has been going up. In addition, we can cherry pick the snow cover. For instance, in the autumn, the northern hemisphere, where most of the land is, snow cover is going up. In the winter, it's going up. It is true in the spring, it's declining. Which, now let me get this straight. If there's less snow on the ground in the spring, don't you have a chance to raise more crops? And when you actually look at what food production is doing, it's steadily increasing every continent across the globe. Yet what does the headline say? And I can't blame, let's say, the Weather Channel or AccuWeather or whoever wants to just 
parrot this for the actual article. What I can say is, why don't you research it? Why don't you look and say, well, wait a minute, the food production is going up, the snow is going up. And a little bit of intuition here. Again, if spring is coming a bit earlier, isn't that good for growing food? This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. As a combat wounded veteran, I know how hard it is to come home and build a meaningful life. When I was in Iraq, our vehicle was hit. A rocket propelled grenade exploded right under my seat. Traumatic brain injury, a fractured pelvis, severe burns. They didn't think I was gonna make it. I had to learn to walk again and live with the scars, both visible and invisible. DAV helps veterans like LaToya get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. With DAV on my side, I was able to pursue my dreams. If my story can touch a heart, it can change a life. My victory is overcoming my wounds so I can help other veterans. LaToya Lucas, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Interviews, news, and views. You're listening to State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Okay, welcome back to State of the Nation on TNT Radio with Steve Hook and Brian Hesher McLean. Our next guest, very happy to welcome Dawn Marie Borsico to the program. She is a Project 21 ambassador. Dawn is also, uh, well, she's a host of uh, uh, It's Life, It's Only a Decision on Facebook and YouTube. And I take it, Dawn Marie, that you are, I'm just going to take a wild stab at it. Are you in Atlanta by chance? No, I'm in California. You're in California. Well, now, the reason I ask this, and let me t- tell you why I asked this. I'm not, I wasn't trying to be uh, presumptuous, but you're taking on a case that is near and dear to my heart as an Atlantan and a Braves fan. Because Governor Kemp's uh, in the state of Georgia, Governor Kemp, passed the Election Integrity Act of 2021, and we all remember what happened. This was done after the whole COVID fiasco, and Major League Baseball decided that they were going to look at this from a leftist uh, perspective and say, well, they're trying to disenfranchise voters and all this other stuff. Well, lo and behold, the Major League Baseball took a big hit for that because they removed the All-Star game from Georgia, which, ironically enough, affected uh, more than anybody, it affected poor black folks in Atlanta. They were going to make a lot of money off of this game. And they moved it. They came under a lot of heat for it. And now Major League Baseball has moved the All-Star game back to Atlanta. And I wanted to talk to you about it. What is your What is your take on all of this nonsense that we've been seeing going on? Exactly that nonsense. You know, we, we're living in a society where you were weaponizing people against people. What's happening is the middle class and the lower middle class, whether you're white, black, purple, green, short, tall, doesn't matter what your earth suit looks like. The powers that be are using us like pawns and they're moving us on the chessboard for their own benefit. And if race works and it hurts you, oh, well, you're just collateral damage because we in power are going to tell you what we can do and we hold the purse strings. And that's what they're doing. It's it's oh. it's really sick to watch. It really but, is, you know, and and I find it so insulting that um, the take by the MLB, the original take by the MLB on the Election Integrity Act of 2021 
was that it disenfranchised black voters. I, I mean, that sort of, is that not insulting to assume that all black voters have issues getting to the polls, like they can't manage their lives well enough to get out and do the American duty of, of voting? I mean, that seems a little insulting to me. Well, what happens, what we're seeing here is that they're playing on an old wound and they're trying to keep that wound festered. We have children. And what do we tell our children when they have a, a scab? Don't touch that. Let it heal. Let it heal. But you have the powers that be that want to keep poking that bear, poking that bear. We've come a long way since Jim Crow. We've come a long way since Martin Luther King. But they want to take us back. Now, is it all south? No, because the hearts of mankind are wicked and we're going to do things that we probably shouldn't do. But overall, yeah. nobody that I know that is of the white persuasion, let's say, you know, is sitting there going, hey, you know, how can I just make it really hard for a black person in their lives today? But the powers that be want power. This isn't about yeah. black or white. This isn't about racism or 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 MLB. This is about power. And if we yeah. if they can use black people, if they can use middle class people, if they can keep us arguing and fighting over things instead of coming together and talking and resolving issues, that's what they want. They're just using us. That is that is that is well said. And that is exactly at the beginning of the show. We were talking about the uh, the founder of Black Lives Matter, Rhode Island, which has nothing to do with Patrice Coolers and the whole a debacle that became basically a big uh, real estate racket for those folks. But this guy came out and said, look, they've done nothing to help us. And what they are doing to your point, Don Marie, is they're intentionally dividing us. They're using these divisive issues, hot button issues. It doesn't matter if it's abortion, gay rights, trans rights, black versus white, rich versus poor, whatever the button is that needs to be pressed. They're ready to press it, and they press it over and over and over again. Exactly. We have to get back to using critical thinking. It you when when you I mean we're all around the same high school graduation age, right? Um, and we remember when we learned that America was a melting pot, and that that was something significant. That means we we were proud of our differences, and it was okay. But I think we have to take that a little bit further, that we are different. We aren't all the same. And we need to be celebrated for the things that we do and what we bring to the table. And that's it. What greatness do you bring to the table? Let's celebrate that. Not celebrate something that has nothing to do with nothing. I mean, whether I'm black or I'm white, were there things that were done in the past? Yes. Was it horrendous? Yes. But let's move past it. And what happened was they've capitalized on a uh, on a almost a decade of seeing people shot in the back and, you know, black and white, you know, police issues, they were capitalizing on it for their benefit. They weren't trying to resolve racial issues or, oh, this wound still needs to be healed. No, they want to capitalize on it for their own power to get what they want. And we, as the American people, regardless of our color, regardless of our economic status, have to wake up and say, wait a minute, we really are better together. Let's turn that phrase around that we learned during COVID and let's say, no, no, you're not going to do this. We're going to come together. We all want to pay our bills. We all want to eat, go on vacation, save money, retire well. And I don't think that's discriminant, um, uh, regardless of what color you are. And we need yeah. to come together, push back against this narrative and, and stand together as a, as a country. 
A hundred percent. If there's one thing Americans should be able to agree on, it's that we are free to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. All of us. It needs to be that way. That's part of the founding ideals of the country. Um, so it's, it, you know, the, this whole race baiting thing has just gone way too far at this point. And I agree with you, you know, as a, a high school graduate in the early to mid 90s, I really felt and maybe this is just the uh, illusions of youth, but I don't think so. I really felt like we in that era and something about that period of time was sort of an apex of the melting pot. We were really the generation that said, no, we're, we're not going to stand by and watch racial division. And no, we don't like war and we don't like governments, you know, uh, doing these sort of authoritarian things to us. But somehow we've uh, slipped backwards or forwards into some sort of dystopia here with regards to race relations. And, and I fully lay the blame on the feet of our educational institutions, the Fortune 500, uh, our politicians, and most importantly, the mass media cartel. That's very true, but we have to, you know, be, we need to come together and talk as people because there's a lot that, you know, we can talk about, and I'm going to use this, this, this is a good example, I think. Before integration, I was one of those students that was bust. What did that do? It brought us together. Because those stereotypes, those misnomers, it was like, oh, well, what I heard isn't true or what I thought is not. Oh, we're alike. We're more alike than we are different. Somewhere yeah. along the line, we stopped talking. Somewhere along the line, we stopped really addressing the issues and having those real conversations. And there's a, a, a responsibility of both on black side and white at the same token. We can't just live in our own neighborhoods, whether it be the inner city or the suburbs and go, oh, well, I'm not that way. Nay, nay, that's not true. We all have our own thoughts and, and inclinations. But if you go back, we used to be able to laugh at ourselves. We used to be able to laugh and say, well, if you're looking at a scary movie of the white girl is always going to be the one that falls down, right? <laughs> and if you look at, at a black movie, you had Richard Pryor making fun of everybody. And that's what we all, nobody's walking around unscathed. And we all can be laughed at and we all can be celebrated. We all bring something to the table. It doesn't have to be white power, black power or anything else. It's human power. And that is the beauty of what we have here in the United States of America. And we're letting the wrong people change the narrative. Nobody gives a, a rat's behind if you're black or white. When a hurricane comes or the power goes out, do you have a boat? Can you help me out? Yeah. Or with the yeah. gas prices as high as they are, food prices as high as they are, do we really care? Does it matter? Yeah. We need to get back well, to the issues at hand. You've, you, you know, you've touched on something, uh, Dawn Marie, here, because uh, then we have the professional, well, to use your term, scab pickers. And they are going to pick this scab because they've found that it is uh, it's a great way to weaponize politics it's a great way to drive poll numbers it's a great way uh to shift narratives to drive agendas i really you know what you're saying here is so it it reminds me I, i've interviewed alveda king several times on my old program and she always says and i've always loved it she says uh we are not black and white we are all there's 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 only one race the human race and we're all a member of it um and it's not black not white it's human and, and that's what you're getting at here. I'm wondering if you're noticing 
uh, in, in the black community or in any community, because I hate to play this identity politics balkanization game, but it seems to me that people are kind of waking up to it. I th- people are kind of seeing this for what it is. Do, do you get that sense? You know, depending on what circle you are in really depends on, you know, um, because we our regions are different between north, south, east, west, you know, east coast, west coast. People are going to see things a little bit different. You know, I live in, you know, Murrieta, California. So depending on what part of California you are in, you may not see a lot of minorities. That's just the way that it goes. So but I think that what's happening is that people are getting sick and tired of being sick and tired. People are getting tired of being called a racist. People are getting tired of being called a name. People are they're getting tired. I've been called names. I, I wrote an article a few months ago um, in response to the uh, Supreme Court decision, and I got slaughtered by, by some family members like, OK, we're well, you're a disgrace. You're, you're black. How could you think that way? We thought this because here's the thing. There is something called collective victimhood and collective memories. When we don't heal those things, when we don't heal that trauma. So think of a rape victim. Think of a a uh, a, a victim of one of the uh, shootings. If they don't effectively deal with that trauma and it's constantly talked about because we do see things. I experienced things as a black woman, even in 2023, that make you go, hmm, that didn't feel right. And we need to yeah. address that. But we can't lump everybody in with that. And so what happens when you have black communities or white communities that are constantly talking about the same thing and nobody's coming together and talking and saying, hey, I'm experiencing this. And that's what you saw during 2020. People were like, wait a minute, that happens? People, black people began to feel comfortable about telling their story about what it's like to be black in America, not always from a negative standpoint, but there's always that thing in your knower. But that doesn't mean you vilify everybody. So the goal is coming together and having a conversation. At the end of the day, I tell people, white people are not sitting at their kitchen table trying to figure out how they can hurt black people. Yeah, they're trying to figure out how they can put food on the table. But you have those scab pickers, as you call it, Stephen, that will nurture that wound for those people that have an ear to hear. But for those of us who are critical thinkers, regardless of what our earth suit looks like, we're going to go. I'm not falling for that. I'm not falling for something different. Yeah, it removes your individuality when you separate into tribes like that. Um, And, you know, it it also, you know, it dilutes, it waters down, it changes the gravity of actual racism. It's not gone. It's still here. We still have it. We still experience it. Um, All sort of unfairnesses and violations out there. And when the the mass media and educators, um, you know, when when the system tells people, hey, if you have these physical attributes, you are a victim class, it separates us, it takes us apart. And then they blame the oppressors, they call all, you know, they take tribes of people, colors of people say that's an oppressor class. It pits us against each other, but it totally dilutes the actual events that are happening, right? The, it, that yeah. are happening to individuals that should be addressed. Exactly. I definitely agree. We, again, we have to come together. We're, we're not, you know, we're all, we're all M&Ms, but we all like our favorite color M&Ms, right? But without all the variety, 
it wouldn't be as interesting, would it? It wouldn't be, it wouldn't have as much flavor. And that's what we all bring to the table. We all bring in our unique flavor. And that's what we, we need to begin to celebrate. We're going to have differences. But when we come together in those differences, then if, if Stephen does something that's really great that you don't do, Brian, and then I bring a little something extra to the table, wow, what an awesome thing that we have. But when we allow the powers that be that are making more money than dirt that tell <laughs> you not to address somebody and hang out with a different different group because of the color of their skin, but you're waiting, going, wait a minute. But they're working yeah. for the people that they're telling you not to associate with. And they're making more money than you might see in an entire year. They're not going to struggle like you. Stop letting other people control your thoughts. And let's think with the end in mind. And that's all of us wanting to have a quality of life. Here, here. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Well Absolutely. said. Yeah. Life. That's why I'm glad that we had you to come on. Yeah, me too. Uh, life, well, it's I'm only a decision. You can find it on Facebook and YouTube and The Process 319 with Don Marie. Uh, Don, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us here on the State of the Nation. We'll look forward to having you again. And thanks for all the work that you and your colleagues are doing at Project 21. Thank you so much. I look forward to being with you again. Thank Absolutely. You, Don. Don Murray. We do too. All right. Stay tuned for the Misty Winston Show coming up next right here on today's News Talk TNT Radio.